dead things. I love that clip. Um, and we cut it short. If anybody of you know the rest of the movie, you know why we just cut it short there. So we don't get anybody in trouble. But um, yeah, dead stuff. How many of you have been to a funeral? They're like, ooh, you're so happy about that. I mean, no disrespect for anybody that's, that's lost a loved one. I just lost my grandfather not too many months ago, so I understand this dynamic and phenomenon known as the funeral. But if you haven't been to a funeral yet, chances are you will probably be at one in the near future because death is just a part of this existence here on earth. And I know funerals in and of themselves can be the most awkward, weird things under the sun, right? So you can go to a funeral and it's like, you know, in our culture, the body is, is laid out there and you, and you make comments that you really don't mean. I mean, you're like, oh, he looks good. No, he doesn't look good. He's dead. He looks horrible. I mean, I remember looking at my grandpa here a couple of months ago and being like, that does not look like grandpa at all. Zero. Doesn't even, doesn't even, he doesn't even wear those clothes. I mean, I, I, I've seen these things. And funerals are just weird and awkward because death is weird and awkward at times, especially if you're my 10-year-old son. A couple of years ago, we were at a funeral and I mean one of those giant funerals where I think everybody knew this guy that had died. And he was the father uh, of a close friend of, of Trish and I's. And so we're standing in this long processional line for the viewing, you know, and we're all dressed up in clothes that don't quite fit, you know, and, and ties on and everybody's walking. And we're trying to keep our three kids in line. We're like, you know, guys, you know, stay here. Don't, don't do that. Don't do this. And we're all kind of messing around and we make our way up to the front and, you know, we pull aside. I talk to his son and we're having, you know, those weird comments. Oh, he looks great. And how are the last couple of days? And, you know, we're going through all that kind of stuff. And we'd all pulled off to the side here and, I noticed I couldn't find my youngest son. And I'm kind of looking around and I'm like, where's Carter? Where is he? And to my horror, my son is with a little nephew kid and they're poking the face of the dead guy. And I'm like, oh my God. I'm looking at Trish, I'm like, it's your kid, your kid. And we, you know, I'm pulling him aside and I'm grabbing him. I'm like, don't, don't, don't. He's like, what's wrong, dad? What's wrong? You know, he's like four or five years old at that time. And I'm pulling him away. I'm like, we don't touch dead things. And then I asked him because I had to. I'm like, what did it feel like? He's like, well, it was, it was really squishy. I'm like, oh, squishy. Don't do that anymore, ever. And that's true, right? We avoid dead things. Like we don't, we don't touch them and, and feel them. And I mean, if there's like a dead animal in your yard, you're like, oh God, and the stench. I mean, we were, true, my wife and I were down in the Keys yesterday just because we'd never been there and we're close and we're like, well, let's drive down there. And there was a dead rooster because there are roosters everywhere down there. And we were downwind of this dead, and we're like, oh gosh. And we actually were going to move our car so we could be you know, upwind of it. So we didn't have to, because death is nasty and it's gross and sometimes we, really avoid it at all costs. And I think we do that oftentimes, not just physically with death, but spiritually as well. You see, biblically speaking, there are things that are dead and things that are alive. There are things that are awake and things that are asleep. And sometimes we fear treading into the dead things of this world, into the sleeping things of this world because we like to stay nice and comfortable where it's not gross and squishy, you know, poking it where it doesn't smell bad. And we like to just be comfortable in our states and environments. But the Bible has something very different 
to share when it comes to this whole idea of interacting maybe with dead things. So I don't know if you guys bring your Bibles here. If you've got a Bible, great. If not, you know, it's maybe on your phone, however that works for you. I know they're going to put some verses up on the screen, but I want to share with you a story out of the book of 2 Kings that has radically impacted my life and the life of, of my wife and our family when it comes to this whole idea of interacting with things that are dead or interacting with things that are asleep. So let me set up this story for you. I grew up not in church. Like I grew up as far away from Jesus Christ as you can get. There's actually like a limit, like way out here. That's where I was. And so when it came to this whole idea of the Bible and church and things like that, it used to drive me crazy when people would stand up here and go, well, you all know the story. Because I didn't know the story when I finally got into these environments. So my fault big time is, is sometimes breaking things down a little bit too much. Just because I want you to understand it because I want you to get excited about it. I want you to feel this story because it's easy to just blow through the Bible and it's like, I gotta get through this. This is my morning devotion. Woo, I gotta get through it. Man, don't read the Bible to get through it. Read it to let it get through you. Take some time with it. I mean, go slow, you know, let your mind. Okay, so what's the story? What's the setting? What's the scene? Take some time with it because in doing that, I think you're gonna discover some beautiful hidden treasures inside of this thing called the Bible. So in the book of 2 Kings, like I said, if you've got it, this is kind of the, let me, let me just set up the story for you. Um, there were guys back in the day called prophets. There are still guys these days called prophets, but in those times, these prophets were really foretelling things that were to come and they were calling people into the heart of God and they were telling people, you know, you gotta repent. God, God is this way. Your culture is this way. Come on back to God. And they're always waving their arms real big and a lot of them died and a lot of them went through some horrible things. But there was this incredible prophet called Elisha. And Elisha, in this story in 2 Kings, is... Uh, is basically passing through a town, as he often did, and he encounters uh, this woman who was very influential in that town. And she must have heard a little bit about this guy, Elisha, and she invites him in for dinner. She's like, yeah, come on in for dinner. And, and Elisha was like, oh, okay, whatever. And as you read the story, it was kind of like, he really didn't want to have anything to do with this influential woman, but she, she realized, yeah, come on in. Here's my husband and I, and you come in and you dine with us. And I guess the relationship blossomed such that the wife and the husband actually built Elisha a little place to live uh, and, and sleep whenever he passed through the town. They built it on top of their house, which rocks. If any of you down here in Florida want to build a little space, you know, for somebody to come and live and stay, I mean, this it's a biblical premise. I mean, come on. So there's a, there's a beautiful thing that goes along with this. You know, so Elisha would be passing through and he came with the, you know, his assistant, his aide, and they would come through the place and the lady, you know, here, I've got a place for you to stay. And it was a, it was a very simple place. The Bible even says it was small and it was just, you know, furnished with just a bed, a place for him to sleep and, and lay his head down. And, and so there was this kind of cool relationship going on there. So that went on for a while. And as Elisha was passing through another time and, and enjoying the, the beautiful gift of this, of this place to stay, he like, he's looking at the lady and he's like, you know what, I wonder what she doesn't have that I could maybe help her with. You know, she's blessed me. I, I don't want to be stingy with things and I, I want to bless her. And so he calls his aide, his assistant in, and he's like, hey, um, is there anything like this lady needs? Do you have any, any idea, you know, what's going on? And he actually, uh, he, he asks her, you know, he's like, hey, is there, is there something I can get you? You know, maybe I could talk to the king for you? You know, or, or, or maybe like the commander of the army? Could I, could I talk to, to him for you? What, what do you need? And you know, if you're me, I'm like, hey, yeah, I got some stuff that I need. 
Uh, I mean, I'd be like pouring out all this kind of stuff that I wanted. Well, she didn't do that because she was so much humbler and more beautiful than I am. And she looked at him and she's like, you know what? I just kind of live here among the people and that's cool. I'm good. And that was that. And it was really plaguing Elisha. He's like, man, isn't there something I could, I could give this lady? And he does. He asks his servant. He's like, hey, what, what, what do you think? And the servant goes, well, I mean, she's, she's kind of older and she and her husband, they don't have any kids. And he was like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm connected with God here. Maybe I can, you know, through praying, I go, God, what do you think? You know, that's cool. Maybe I can bless her and say, hey, you're going to have a kid. And for some of you, that's like, that's crazy, man. I've never seen anything like that before. This is the Bible. It's in the story. I mean, it's right there. I'm just telling you what it says. And he sits there and he goes, yeah, let's do that. So he calls her in and, and, and she's standing there in the doorway and, and she's very, you know, prim and proper. And he's like, hey, here's the deal. You're going to have a son. Next year about this time, you're going to have a son. And she's like, whoa, don't lie to me, man. I mean, don't, don't play me like that. I mean, you're getting my emotions up here. I've actually, you know, wanted a son for so long. And my husband, I mean, he's an old man and I'm a woman and we can't do this kind of thing. And Elisha's like, no, you're going to have a kid. Well, sure enough, nine months or so later, they have a son, a beautiful son. And can you imagine the joy in their hearts as we who have been once barren here, we have this son, this beautiful son. And they, they probably dote on the kid and give him anything that he wants. And the Bible records the, the child grows and, and he's at an age where he's old enough to go out with his dad and go hang out in the fields and, and do some harvesting in the fields. And so one day they're, they're out doing that and you can imagine the, the interaction. I mean, really, the father, think about it. This is his son and he's, he's reaping away. They're having a good time. And the son looks at him and he goes, my, my head, my head. And I don't know if that was common. You know, I mean, they're working hard. It's out in the heat, whatever. My head, my head, it really hurts. And the father kind of looks at me, he asks one of his other uh, assistants and servants there. He's like, hey, can you, can you go uh, take him to his mom? Can you go hang out? And the Bible records that the son went in with the mom. And, and again, he had to be the age that he could go out to the field, but he was young enough that he sat on the mom's lap. And I'm sure the mom was like, oh, it's okay, honey. It's your head. And I don't know what their Advil was back then. I have no idea. But, you know, like, here, take this. You know, rub a little plant on him. I don't know what it was. But the kid dies. Like, he was fine in the morning. He goes out to the field. He gets a headache. And now he's dead. And this is like, what? Wasn't this... Wasn't this kid promised to these people? No, he's, he's dead. Now look at the reaction, though, of the mom. The mom takes the child and goes up to that, remember they built that little room, the little bedroom place up on top? He, she takes the child up to the top and lays the child on the bed of the prophet, on the bed of the prophet Elisha that they had built and provided. And then she came to her husband. And now... I mean, my wife and I here, I, I think my wife would be like freaking out and maybe I'd be like, how's my son? Stuff like that. She says, you know what, honey, I, I need to go find uh, the prophet Elisha. And the, and the husband asks her, you know, like, what the heck? You, you normally don't go, go do this. What, what do you need to go see? And she's like, it's okay. I, I just need to go do this. And I love that because it shows a really cool picture of their relationship where he trusted her enough to know, hey, something's going on and I, I need to go let her do this. And she honored him enough to come and say, hey, this is what I'm going to go do. And so she goes and she finds the prophet Elisha. And on the way, she, she runs into that servant of his. 
And she's like, hey, um, where's, where's your master guy? You know, and, and, and he's saying, hey, is everything okay? And she's like, yeah, 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 my business really isn't with you. But she gets to the prophet and she immediately falls at his feet. And she's like, did I ask for a son? Did I ask you to give me this, this child? This child has is, is died. And Elisha's like, ooh, boy. And Elisha hands his staff, again, it's in the Bible, hands his staff to the servant and is like, you know what, go to her house now. Take my staff and lay it on the boy's face. And so yeah, it's right there. Tuck your cloak into your belt. Take my staff in your hand and run. Don't greet anyone you meet. And if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. And so the servant, being the cool guy that he is, don't worry, I didn't get a text. I'm just reading it for you. Um, he says, but the child's mother says, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and he followed her. And Gehazi went on ahead, this was the servant, and laid the staff on the boy's face. But there was no sound, no response. So Gehazi went back to Elisha and told him, the boy has not awakened. Now, let me just, let me just pause for a second here. Back in those days, as it is in these days, you don't mess with dead stuff. It was actually like um, in Old Testament times, it, it was almost you would, you would make yourself unclean or defile yourself by being even close to stuff that was dead. Like you definitely didn't go into a room with something dead and you sure as heck didn't touch it. It was like a defilement. But watch what happens here in this. Watch what Elisha does as he starts to break some of those rules. And look and see the response that goes on. So Elisha, it says, when Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch, his, his bed. He went in and he shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Now look, so Elisha, if, if you can kind of see it this way. So Elisha goes in, here's, here's the child laying. Elisha, you know, just because we don't want a lot of spectators in this thing. Elisha shuts the door and he immediately begins to pray before God. What his prayer was, not 100% sure. But it's probably something like, you know, God, what the heck is going on here? I mean, this is the kid. Um, he's dead. I mean, again, let, let people in the Bible be people. Sometimes we think Elisha shut the door and is like, oh, dearest God, <laughs> father of all things. You know, come on, seriously. They're people, all right? Don't let them be thespian English actors, you know? <laughs> it doesn't work that way. That's not, that's not the way it was. So again, we don't know what's recorded there, but but he would have looked and been like, oh my gosh. And again, defiled, he, he wasn't supposed to be even close to like dead things. But notice how they keep using the word like the boy has not awakened or maybe the boy is asleep kind of thing. Elisha walks in and he prays to God. And he says this, he says, he closes the door and then he, he got on the bed. And again, don't let our weird cultural goofiness get in the way of the significance of this moment. He gets on the bed, and, and, and look what it says. So here's the boy stretched out, and I imagine one of my boys stretched out here asleep, or, or what I think, dead. And, and, and look what Elisha does. So he reaches the house, and there's the boy, and he goes in, and he, he actually gets onto the bed and lays on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. Again, think about this. He stretches himself out on him. And look what happens as he does. The Bible records that the boy's body starts to become warm. I mean, something's going on here. 
Elisha's literally like transferring life into this boy. And then it says, Elisha turned away and he walks back and forth in the room and he's probably praying again. Okay, Lord, 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 what's going on? Okay, I felt that boy get warm. What's going on? Should, what, what should I do? And then the Bible records, look what it says. It says, and then he got on the bed and he stretched out on him again, once more. And then look what happens. The boy sneezes. Not one time, seven times. I love how specific that is sometimes. Don't you wonder? I mean, it's one of those moments. Like, who was recording that? It's like, so how many times did he sneeze? <laughs> I mean, really, it's in there. That must have been significant to someone. The boy sneezes seven times and does what? Opens his eyes. What? Now hold on. Are you telling me a guy came in, shut the door, laid himself out on this boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands, I mean, think about that, eyes to eyes. I do butterfly kisses like sometimes with my girls. Uh, my girl, I almost have girls. My girl, and it's like, oh, I love that. That's really cool. But think about that. Think about the intimacy. Think about what's going on. Think about the lack of fear of dead things. Think about the ability to just come in and say, I am going to put myself in this situation, stretch myself out, eyes to eyes, mouth to mouth, hand to hand, until this boy wakes up, until this boy's body grows warm, until this boy comes back to life. And that's what happens. And can you imagine? I mean, like, kid wakes up, sneezes seven times. I mean, Elisha, I'm sure, was like, whoa. Okay. Goes out. And Elisha says he calls his servant. He says, call the Shunammite. That was, that was the woman. She was of that, of that region. And he did. And when she came in, she, he says, here, take your son. And she came in and, I mean, fell at his feet. Don't do like the, you know, gentle thing. I mean, pff, fell at his feet. Oh, my goodness gracious then she took her son and went out. So what the heck's this got to do with you guys in gorgeous Florida? What's it got to do with us in Indianapolis, Indiana? I think a couple of questions come into my mind whenever I read this story. The first being this. Am I awake or asleep? Am I dead or alive? Because here's the deal. If I'm asleep or dead, I can't transfer anything into that boy. If you and I are asleep or dead, we can't transfer life into anything because all we're bringing is death and sleep. So that's got to be something that we ask ourselves. Am I alive? Am I alive, and specifically for our context, am I alive in the sense of spiritually alive in Jesus Christ? Have I, Nathan LaGrange, died and now been risen again to life in Christ, and I actually have the life of Christ inside of me, and I can transfer that, stretching myself out onto the dead things that I encounter? Do you? Do you have the life of Christ inside of you? I mean, when you get around things that are asleep, are dead, can you transfer the warmth and the life and the love of Christ into something else? Or are you yourself asleep? Or are you yourself dead? I mean, that's got to be a question you ask yourself. There's nothing that can happen through you if you're bringing death into the room. 
You're not going to transfer awakeness or, or you're not going to rouse somebody out of sleep if you yourself are still asleep. So it's got to be first and foremost. Is there life in you? Is there something alive in you? And the second question I got to ponder as I read that is, am I willing to take the life that's inside of me and step into the death of this world and stretch myself out on it? Am I willing to take the, the, the living word of God, the love that is inside of my heart, the grace that's been poured into me, the mercy and the compassion, and am I willing to pour that out, to stretch that out onto a world that so desperately needs it? You see, sometimes I think we take rules and regulations of religion or the fact that we go to church or all these, these kinds of things that really aren't alive inside of themselves and we try to push them onto people. Then it doesn't work. The only way that this boy in that story was going to wake up was to pray to God, oh God, would you do this? And then God uses the person. That amazes me. I mean, God could go, yeah, wake up, kid. Kid's awake. But God, through his grace and through showing this beautiful example, puts actually that life and says, you know what, Elijah? You transfer that life into that boy. You transfer the living piece of you into the death that's inside of that boy, and you wake him up. So for you, are you awake? Not as in, are you at 10 whatever in the morning? You all got an extra hour of sleep. You should be just fine. Any of the rest of you like keep peeking at the clock at night? Is it going to change? Is it not going to change? Does the iPhone change? What? I can't remember. Not awake in that sense, but awake spiritually. Have you had an encounter with Jesus Christ, the risen Lord? Have you allowed death to self and the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now alive inside of you? Or do you just have a bunch of like good church stuff? Yeah, I go to church, man. That's ooh, good for you. So for an hour a week, you go to church. Well, that's great. What do you do with the other 167 hours out of your life? I mean, what's your week look like? If you're alive, oh man, I love it when we sing those songs. We, we, we lift our hands. I get like goosebumps sometimes and that's all great and wonderful, but that's just an hour out of your week. There's 168 hours in your week. What are you doing in the other 167? Are you taking this life that you feel when you're here and are you extending it out into the world? You've got to wrestle with this stuff. Because if you don't, you won't live up to the fullness of what God's called us to do. We'll just sit in seats, absorb some of this cool stuff, and then go out and do whatever we want. And then show up again next week. No, man. God wants us alive in him. Coming in here, enjoying, oh, this is great, man, I love it. Whoa, these guys singing and playing, oh, I just love this, man, the whole thing. And I get together with people, and that's great. And then when I leave here, I go extend the life that I have inside of me into a dead and dying world. And I do that all week long. And then I come back here, and I celebrate what God's done. Wow, man, God has raised people from the dead. God has done things in and through our community and in our lives. And we celebrate it, and we go, Wow, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. Wow. And then you hear some more teaching and you go out and you do it again. But if you don't have that life inside of you, 
You're not going to extend anything onto anybody. You're just going to be death on death. Asleep on asleep. It's not going to work. So in the very, very short time that we have, I think the guys are going to come back up and they're going to play a little bit. You've got to wrestle with these questions. It's nothing I can do for you. It's something you and God, it's, you've got to work this thing out. You've got to ask the question, am I alive in Jesus Christ? Am I alive? Have I bought into the goofiness of this culture that tells me there is no God? Have I bought into the goofiness of everything that says, oh, you don't have to worry about that stuff. Just be a good person. Yeah, you know what? I don't want your good person touching anything of me. I want the life in Christ touching me. I want you alive in Jesus Christ, extending yourself now, asking yourself, am I taking this life and am I willing to extend it out onto a dead and dying world? Because if not, what are you doing with it? I mean, are you just coming in here and just getting all filled up and I just wait till next week? Yeah, fill up, man. You gotta wrestle with this stuff. I mean, seriously, can you imagine this community? You guys and your killer names, you know, your Coconut Creeks and you're all this, you know, it's beautiful. Can you imagine this community? If just the people in this room were alive in Jesus Christ, not, listen, not going to church, okay? Neat that you're here, love it. But you're going to leave this place. I mean, again, this isn't church. It's a high school. I looked. Are you going to take this life that's inside of you and imagine what your community might be like if we all extended this life out into this community? If we weren't afraid of the death, if we weren't afraid of those that were, you know, disfortunate, dying in their economic despair, or were unfortunate and dying in their spiritual despair, if we didn't care, if we just walked our life into those death situations and woke them up, what would it look like? I think it would be a beautiful thing. I think over the course of generations, should, should the Lord decide not to return within our generation here, I think over the course of generations, things might change. This might be a different place. You might be raising kids and grandkids who have life inside of them and aren't afraid of death. Not cocky and arrogant kids, but people that are full of the life of Jesus Christ and humbly willing to stretch it out under the death that's around them. I want to pray that for you, and I want to pray that for me. I lived far too long just soaking up little church services and never doing really anything with it. I lived far too long for the hour on Sunday and missed the other 167 hours out there. And as my wife and I have prayed together, as we have asked God for insight, we've become more bold in walking into the dead things of this world and bringing the life of Jesus Christ to witness in our community and around the world. So I want to pray that for you. I want to pray that for me. There might be more life. Father, in Jesus' name, 
I pray that there might be life and life more abundantly poured into each and every one of us. That God, there might be something right now, even this morning, that wakes up inside of our hearts and lives. That we, oh God, who have been asleep and maybe caught in the traditions of religion or caught in the culture that we live in, the Father, we who have been lulled asleep by the rhythms and pulses of this world might be woken up now in this moment to your beautiful love, your incredible grace, and your unending compassion for us. And that God, so in waking up, we might be filled with a holy boldness that has no fear of the death that's around us, that has no fear of the sleeping things around us because we realize that we were once dead in our sins and transgressions. And you, through your compassion, have awakened us, have awakened us to the beauty and the glory of your kingdom. And in so doing, we now have boldness to walk into these areas of death and stretch ourselves out to bring life into this beautiful portion of Fort Lauderdale, into the United States of America and around the world. Might we who are called by your name stretch ourselves out on behalf of the one who stretched his hands out for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.